Hey, everybody. Welcome to season two of the Defy podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Troutman. And this season, we're doing something a little different. We're still going to be telling incredible stories of amazing women and non-binary individuals, obviously, but we are going to be focusing this season more on entrepreneurs, people who are in leadership positions in business and having a better understanding of how people have approached solving problems with passion, the process that they've used to be able to create something amazing and the profitability that they've been able to achieve as a result. So many of the questions that we get in this podcast are about careers. So we thought, why not double down on this and use all of season two to talk about career and entrepreneurship? So we're glad you're here. We hope you learn something from this episode. We hope you enjoy and laugh in this episode. So come on, guys, let's get started and let's defy. Hey, you guys, I am so excited that for season two of the Defy podcast, we actually have a sponsor. It's true. We have a sponsor and our sponsor is one of my favorite ABA organizations in the state of Arizona, and that is Arizona Autism United, also known as AZA United. AZA United has been serving the greater Phoenix area since 2006, and I know this because their CEO and founder is one of my close friends, Dr. Aaron Blocker-Rubin. And I've had the opportunity to work alongside Aaron to meet some of his staff and to really have a clear understanding of the vision that AZA United has, which is to be a model of best practices that provides statewide comprehensive services for persons with autism of all ages. AZA United offers ABA treatment, speech therapy, counseling, diagnostic evaluations, and clinical family coaching. You might be asking yourself, that's awesome, Sarah. I'm really excited that AZA United is doing this great work, but why are they sponsoring the Defy Community Podcast? They're sponsoring this podcast because Aaron saw something in this podcast that they really value at AZA United, and that is creating meaningful connections, uh, approaching your work, being your authentic self. And he really felt like there might be someone in our audience that would be a good fit for them. So if you're interested in learning more about what a career at AZA United might look like, I welcome you to check out their website. I have linked it to the show notes. They are hiring all different types of positions from behavior analysts to RBTs to administrative staff. And take it from me, it's a good place to be surrounded by people that are doing great work that are super motivated to help individuals with autism live their best lives. So a big thank you to AZA United for sponsoring the Defy Community Podcast and make sure to go check them out. The link to their website is in the show notes. Thanks guys. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome to the Defy Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Troutman, and I'm here today with one of my favorite young entrepreneurs, Lau. What up, Lau? Hi, I'm so flattered, so honored to be here. I love that you're flattered and honored, and I'm excited to have a meaningful conversation 
with you. So what I have been doing for season two of the Defy podcast is I am interviewing all different types of women and non-binary folks that are in different stages of developing their business. So obviously, since a lot of our members are part of the behavior analytic community, there's going to be a lot of people that you know do behavior analysis, especially work with kids with autism. But also, there's a lot of people that do other interesting things too, and you are one of those people that does other interesting things. And you are in the, the fitness, wellness, nutrition, health industry, which of course, I'm obsessed with. And obviously, the reason we know each other is through fitness. Uh, let's paint a picture. Let's paint a picture for everybody. So Lau and I are both from the Bay Area. And during COVID, like our gym, like everything shut down. So how long how long were you like out of work for during COVID? I got I remember March 31st, we got a call from the company I was working for at the time mm-hmm. that they were going to have to let us go. Yeah. Um, just so that whenever COVID, I mean at the time it was like two months and then mm-hmm. we're going to go back to things. But they were like, we just want to make sure that we're able to actually open up again. Yeah. So they let all of the management go. Um, coaches had been let go two weeks prior. Yeah. So March 31st, 2020. Mm-hmm. And that lasted until when? Uh, I got hired at a new company, which is how you and I actually yep. met in um, August of yeah. 2020. So I was unemployed for almost six, seven months. And that's kind of where I was like, I gotta, I gotta do something. I gotta make sure my bills are paid. Well, and it's one of those things, life is so interesting like that when things happen that are, you know, unpredictable and, you know, there's no, none of us saw a pandemic coming. And I remember like, we were all like so casual about it. Like last, like February and March, we're like, oh, it's not going to be a thing in the U.S. And then we're all like shutting down. And I'm thinking, okay, my kids are going to like go back to school in May, you know, whatever. And then like as the months like continue to roll on, roll on, roll on, we were like, oh shit, like this is a thing. And so what you've been able to do is really, you know, A, do some hard look at yourself during that time. And we can kind of get into that. I think a lot of people have had that opportunity to just like have this space to reflect on like, who am I? What's important to me? And what do I want to be doing? Um, But then also to really like live into yourself, which I think is like the most exciting piece. And so Lau, I mean, like we started working out together, like outside in In a a parking parking lot, lot. (laughs) in a parking lot where they're literally were like stepping over like heroin like needles (laughs) and broken glass and we were all just so excited to be together because gyms in california were closed for so long i was like i don't care i will work out anywhere as long as i have energy and like my people around me and lao was one of those people that like brought me back to life you brought me back to life you you like sparked my life i met you and i was like i like this lady (laughs) i like her i love it but yeah it was like we were in this like Alex likes to say government. It was like a government parking yep. lot. It was so ghetto. Oh, so like, much. Cracks everywhere. Everywhere. It's dirty. Mm-hmm. And we, like, everyone showed up. And every yep. day, every day, people showed up. Regardless of the weather, it was like raining sometimes. There was a car parked in the middle of where we sure. were. Sure. There might be some homeless out. folks that wanted to stop by and, like, talk, see what's going on. And that's fun. But, <laughs> but we were there and we did it. And it's just this last year, I feel like, has been so 
crazy to see like community and to see yeah. resilience and strength, mm-hmm. um, especially in the health and wellness industry. Cause man, we were hit hard. Hit with COVID. hard. Oh my gosh. Yes. And so part of, obviously we're going to get to the really exciting stuff of like, what are you doing now in this like post-pandemic? Well, I mean, it's not post-pandemic, but like emergingly post-pandemic environment and, and what's this business that you're creating. But in order, I think, for people to really understand why this was important to you, it's un- important to understand a little bit more about your history. And so, again, like you're born and raised in the Bay Area, awesome family, but you experienced puberty very early. Yeah. Yeah. And this was something, and you were also a swimmer. And so for anyone yes. that understands puberty and swimming, there ain't nothing you can hide when you're wearing those swimsuits. <laughs> there, there's nothing. You like you're wearing a swimsuit that shows all of your legs, it shows your chest, it shows your arm, like everything, right? And I I had to start shaving my legs and at the age of like 11 because I was just so embarrassed um, to go to swim practice. I was on a year-round team. I was a competitive swimmer, so it was co-educational and a lot of – or co-sexual, whatever the word is. But it was something where a lot of a lot of the people on my team too were older, right? Like we, we ranged from ages 10 all the way up to 17, 18. And I was swimming with guys who were in high school and I was this little six year old, sixth grader with Mm -hmm. armpit hair. Like what? I, so I had to start shaving at a young age. And I told you this other day, it was something that was not like, I wasn't conscious of it. Um, until I sat down to kind of like reflect on like, where did my insecurities actually start? And then what was like the tipping point? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just being a young, like a girl who goes through puberty before her friends, like I'm, I was bigger than them. I had boobs. Mm-hmm. They didn't like, I, I was very con- cautious and conscious of how I presented myself being in that position. Yeah. And then really the tipping point for you was the summer between your freshman and sophomore year. Um, of high school, you're like, I had experienced a lot of weight changes, body changes, just because that's, that's what going through puberty is. And, you know, I think for so many people, it's kind of hard balancing, like being an athlete and then I'm hungry all the time, but then what do I do when I'm not? And there's just so many things going on. And both of us have these experiences where there's like this one comment that like really stuck with us. And it's, you know, it was like yours was like offhand. Mine was kind of like an offhand too from like some idiot guy that I was dating my freshman year in high school. Like, what is it about that time frame? It's like we're so vulnerable to feedback, right? But you were trying on some clothes, um, hanging out yeah. um, between freshman and sophomore year. And like, tell us about this comment and tell us how this really like shaped how you felt about yourself. You know, it was definitely one of those things where – you're in high school and you're growing and your body's changing. And I was, you know, I had put on some weight and I, it was this place where like, I couldn't shop in the kids section anymore, but I, I'm not an adult. I'm 13, 14 years old. I'm not going to go buy clothes that are for, you know, old, older women. And it was just, nothing was fitting me. We were trying on clothes and the comment was, um, I said something that I was unhappy with how the clothing fit. Nothing looked cute on me. And, and the response was, well, maybe nothing looks good on you because you're fat. And that was, that was my tipping point. That was the first moment where I was like cognizant of what was being said. And it just 
went into this spiral of I felt like I was overweight and I I wasn't I I had you know curves and I was a little bit fluffier um nowhere near the amount of muscle that I have now but but I was not overweight I've always been a pretty healthy weight for my age and my my guidelines um but I felt like I was fat and I felt like I wasn't good enough And that became the cycle of going into sophomore year of high school. I remember I, my mom would make me lunch and I would have her make me a salad and I would have 10 celery sticks and one tablespoon of peanut butter. And that was pretty much all I ate. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm thankful. My, my parents always made us eat dinner. So at least I was getting a, a, a good dinner in cause my, I was sitting next to my parents, you know, um, but it was something where I was maybe eating 900 to 1,000 calories a day, swimming two hours a day. Sometimes I would go on extra runs. Um, but I felt like I needed to be as small as humanly possible to feel mm-hmm. worthy. Mm-hmm. And then how did this shift when you got to college? Going into college, I was the the smallest I'd ever been weight-wise. I think I clocked in at like 125 pounds. Mm-hmm. And it was a situation, again, a transition where I had gone from, I didn't drink in high school. I, you know, was eating as little as possible. And I was eating mostly whole foods. Um, but I, I go to college and I'm in this position where now I'm going out and I'm drinking and I'm being social and I'm not swimming anymore. And I didn't know how to go into the gym. And so weight gain is just, it was natural. And again, it was another like really hard shift back into restriction heading into my sophomore year where I was like, I don't know how to work out. I'm going to take spin classes three days a week. I meal prepped everything. I didn't drink. I like wouldn't go out on the weekends because I didn't want to get fat. Um, And while I fell into fitness at that time, I didn't quite start my my overall health journey at that time mm. because I was working out and I was losing weight, but it was still things that I would say to myself in the mirror. I would look in the mirror and be like, I'm disgusting. Like I'm so fat. And my my roommate at the time, Jen Block, she was like, you, it makes me so sad how you speak to yourself because the, the things you say, you would never say to me. You would mm. never say to anyone. And hearing you say this to yourself every day makes me so sad. Mm-hmm. And I think for so many women, especially, you know, I mean, you and I talked about this, like the narratives or yeah, like the voices that we have in our head and how we like shame ourselves. We're like, we would never say this to someone we don't even like, like the hateful things that come out of, you know, our mouths or the thoughts that we have about our own bodies. It's like, what? And it just robs you of so much joy And I think also what's interesting is like you kind of stated earlier, you've never been someone that was heavy. And even if you were, who cares, right? Like, and so it's this like distortion, this shaming, this dysmorphia. Um, And I think for so many people that what they do is when they discover, you know, like the spin classes or, you know, the boot camp classes or the Pilates, this becomes, it's not a celebration, of look at my body and this is this incredible vehicle that carries me through life and I want to do it as strongly as possible. It's like, oh, this is a really great way to punish myself um, to do this so, you know, I could maybe hate myself a little less. And so it's interesting that you're saying like you like fell into fitness and and you became a spin instructor. You're like, oh my gosh, this is really fun for me. I really like it. 
But at the same time, you were also engaging in like incredible food restriction. Yeah. Yeah. And it, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. I'm like, no, you first. <laughs> no, you first. I just, it was, you know, it's, it was a disconnect, right? Because I was, I fell into fitness, into fitness through spin and spin. Mm -hmm. I think the 45 minutes that I was taking a spin class or teaching a spin class, if you've ever taken one, it's usually like the lights are low, the music's loud. There's a whole vibe. It's a a vibe. vibe. And I think that what attracted me to spin and why I fell in love with it so hard was because in that class, in those 45 minutes to an hour, everything else fell away. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't, I didn't feel less than it was the first time that I felt strong and I felt powerful. And it's this weird disconnect of, I started craving that. And so I became spin certified and it, it was teaching spin was that same thing. It was, I felt strong and I felt empowered, but every other aspect of my life, I had, I had so much work to do because I was not, I wasn't practicing what I was preaching. Right. Um, and it was this weird disconnect that I think just took a lot of growth and a lot of time to, to work through. Well, and I think that this is, I mean, this is something, frankly, I still struggle with. I mean, you know, we were just talking right before we started recording. I'm 18 years older than you. You guys were recording this on the eve of Lau's 26th birthday. So happy birthday, Lau. We are glad Thank that you're you. part of this world. Um, but but right, it's like we have, you know, our, our classes or the exercise that we like to engage in. And generally speaking, it's like you have that endorphin rush. I, for me, I feel like I can be really focused and present and like experience like joy doing this because I really like it. But then like how do you figure out your mindset for like the rest of the, you know, 23 hours of the day? And I think that that's right. – that's the piece. And like really looking at like wellness, you in no way, shape or form can like compartmentalize who you are like in terms of like, well, I do this exercise or I do this thing. It's, it's an entire holistic perspective because that exercise, you know, again, like that's a very small portion of your day. And then you have to deal with yourself for the rest of the day. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about is you're like, okay, so I became the spin instructor. I'm doing more spin. And so because I'm being so active, like weight is naturally falling off. And so now I'm getting reinforced again, like, oh, you look good because like you weigh less. Um, you're still engaging in restriction. And then you find you graduate from Cal Poly, obviously, because you're super smart and went to a great school. And then you discover <laughs> <laughs> and then you discover Orange Theory, which many people yeah. know. So Orange Theory is like super fun because you have like the weightlifting segment, you have like a running segment and like a a rowing segment and it can kind of, depending on like what the theme or theme or kind of like workout is for the day, those can be like in blocks or like interchangeable, but you were like, this is my jam. Yeah. I, that, it was like another moment of, I just, I felt empowered and I loved Mm -hmm. it and it was so fun and the running and the music and the, you know, all of the, the combinations of the two, the different modalities, it just, it was fun. And I, I felt strong doing it. And I think too, even though I was in the fitness industry. I was still really new in the fitness industry. And so Orange Theory was my first experience with doing something consistently and seeing progress when it came to weight training. Because Mm -hmm. for a really long time, and I think, you know, a lot of women fall into this, it's the cardio mindset, right? I need to 
do two hours of cardio a day so I can lose all of the weight, so I can burn all of the calories. And, and the reality is actually you got to do cardio for your cardiovascular health and mental clarity if that's something you enjoy. But weight training is really, really, really what's key. And it took me a really long time, especially with my history and with wanting to be as small as possible. I was scared to do weights for a really long time because I didn't want to get big. And it was a misconception. Mm -hmm. It was a lack of knowledge. Um, But Orange Theory was the first place where I started to become more comfortable doing weight training. Um, And I made the decision, you know, I studied business. I have a a minor in Spanish. I could have easily gone to work and done marketing or finance or something along those lines for a company. I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. And I worked my way up. I started as a sales associate in the summer of 2017. And I worked my way up to assistant studio manager, transferred onto the fitness side as a head coach, and kind of just started building my fitness career through there. What do you think has been the most rewarding thing for you being a coach or trainer, you know, whatever like verbiage you want to use? Like why, what keeps you motivated every day? Because the kind of energy that I see you bring to the studio or whatever you're doing is like awesome. I certainly don't have it, but like, but I feel like you, it's like this very connected experience. Like anyone that takes your class, like everyone knows like, Oh, have you taken Lau's class? Like people know you, it's this like palpable thing. How did you create that for yourself or how do you get into that space to be able to do that? I, it takes a lot. And anyone that's in the fitness industry, fellow fitness instructors, if you're listening, you know, um, it's not just, and it's specific to group fitness. It's a different vibe. And I say this to people all the time, but I put a little bit of myself in every single class that I teach. And it is, there is creativity in it, but I also try to create a consistent experience where people know what to expect within the little ad libs, right? They know what to expect coming into my class. And I pull from what is going on in my life. Um, I think that that's ultimately what resonates because when people come in to work out, they're usually coming in to work away from the stresses that they have outside of the 45 minutes to an hour Mm -hmm. that they've allotted for themselves. And if I can change one person's life in that 45 minute class. And if I can resonate with someone with my own journey, then I'm doing my job. Um, that's what keeps me coming back. It's this, this connection of my own struggles. I can put that into this class and not only are you getting a good workout, but you're almost getting a little bit of like self-reflection and, and motivation and, and clarity and whatever it is that you're struggling with. Yeah. Well, cause I feel, I mean, I think another way to conceptualize this is that you show up totally and authentically yourself. Yeah. You're like, I've been really struggling, you know, let's work out, you know, whatever workout we're doing together. Like, how do we release this? How do we, you know, again, look at that mindset? Um, because like, shit, it's been a really hard week. It's been a hard day. Or I remember, you know, you were, you were so sweet in one of our classes. You talked about like, I never thought that I would be able to like have my own place in San Francisco. I have this, you know, new business that I'm starting. Like if you would have told me this a year ago, I would have been like, you're insane. But like I did it. Like I have, you know, created a a mindset for myself. I have created opportunities. I've worked relentlessly hard to like make this happen. And you're like, hey, guess what? You can too. And I think that that, you know, it's like when, when you come into it like a group space and you're the leader of that space and you can say in a very real way, like, I have struggles. There's other things going on. Like, and just be like, here, here I am. 
it allows people to also lean into that, right? And be like, but here I am. And then it's like this crazy energy that starts happening. And then it's like everyone feels it's easier to like push each other. It's easier, you know, to like do the hard reps. And then it's easier to come back. And I think that that's like, that's the, the magic, right? Yeah. Um, and why, you know, this has been something that's been so effective for you. So it's like, you're, you know, you're doing Orange Theory, you're killing it. Um, everyone, you know, loves you. Um, but you're still, you're still working on your nutrition. You're still working on your restrictive eating. Like you're not really, that's a, that's a hard thing for you. What happened over this last year that finally was like, whoa, I need to maybe look at this a different way. I need to approach myself in a different way. And I really want to, to be able to kind of shed this, you know, constant like shame and restriction and stop hating food and instead loving it because like also you're a cook <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, you love, and you love to make great stuff. Like what, you know, what happened to you in this last year where you were like, I am taking control of this. I want to look at this a different way and I want to educate myself and just go to the next level with how I look at it, like how I view food and, and myself and in my body. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting and it's kind of ironic because to get to the place where I was able to look at food and actually start to understand without fear, um, the, the tipping point for me was actually not related to food. Um, but I was in a situation and it was very manipulative and it was full of lies and it was very, very hard. Um, 20, 2018 and 2019 were really hard years for me. And I was being gaslit and mansplained and all of the, all of so the this things. is when you're in a relationship with like, let's be clear. Cause I think yes, we also, yes, we, yeah, I was, like, why well, entanglement yeah. situation, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. But it was it I call, was, we can call it a shit situation. Get it? A shit situation. <laughs> it was, you know, it was it was something where I was putting my all into it and I was constantly being demeaned and constantly being gaslit and manipulated. Mm-hmm. And when that situation ended, um I I had to look at myself in the mirror because I wasn't proud of, of who I had become in that year. And mm-hmm. I had to take ownership for where I could have done better. Um, but that the end of that led me to have some really hard conversations with myself of like, okay, I, I need to grow. I need to grow and I need to step forward and I need to really become confident and comfortable with who I am so I don't end up in a situation like this again. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that conversation that I sat with myself, it was a lot, it was very uncomfortable, but I, I tell people and I tell my clients, like the discomfort of your history is what is, what is going to help you go forward. If you can sit in that discomfort and have the conversations with yourself of like, where, where did I fuck up? Where can I move forward? You're able to actually move forward. And in doing that, I was able to step into 2020, feeling more comfortable in who I am, what I bring to the table, regardless of what other people are saying. And and even from January of 2020 to 
January of 2021, there's been growth, right? It's always every day. I'm always trying to grow and become better. But that, that moment was pivotal because I was no longer in a situation that was negative. I had to take ownership of where I could have done better. And in doing that, I was able to now step away from this fear and say, I need to be the best person I can be. What does that look like? And I may, mm-hmm. I was able to step into, okay, now I'm no longer scared of tracking my food. I'm no longer scared of lifting weights because I am who I am and, and I can always become better. But fundamentally, like I love who I am. And that shift is what kind of started this journey of like falling into nutrition coaching and creating this program that is supposed to empower women to feel comfortable in themselves um, and also eat a balanced diet that makes them feel fueled. Mm-hmm. And so when you were laid off in March last year during COVID, you're like, I need to figure out what I'm going to do. But this also then allowed you to have time to invest in learning education. So what have you done to really kind of put yourself in the best position to be able to launch this business that we're going to talk about? I, so the first thing that I did, um, was get my nutrition certification. It was something that I'd wanted to do for a while, but I, it just, I was working full time and I was putting a lot of myself into that job. And I immediately like, a week into us not being employed anymore, I bought the program and I started going through it. And the reason I chose this program is because it talks a lot about behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not My just faith. the, I, I love it. Right. But it, but it's true. And it talks a lot about the behavior and I was reading, I would read my modules and then I would read, you know, James Clear by Atomic Habits. I read that and then I reread it and I reread all of the books from Mark Manson that have resonated with me. I took as much time to just kind of gather information and understand the relationship between food as fuel that our body needs to survive and then the behavior and the relationship, the psychological side of food and Mm -hmm. and understanding the behaviors that maybe drive that. So it was combining the two as well as like my own history and my own breakthroughs as I was tracking my food and I was understanding like, oh, holy shit, I'm eating maybe 1200 calories a day. I need to be eating way more than that. Um, That all kind of started to culminate. And throughout quarantine, I was, you know, literally throwing things at a wall, hoping it would stick. And I feel like I use that analogy a lot, but it was true. Like I just, I wanted to stay busy and I wasn't really sure like what I wanted to do for my own brand. So I was teaching boot camp classes and then I started taking on some like personal, like private training and nutrition clients and like all of this stuff. And I'm a really big believer that the universe guides you if you let it. Um, I didn't know when I started taking spin classes that I was going to become a spin instructor, but it just, it was this drive, this internal flame that like pushed me in that direction and the same thing when I graduated college and and the same thing happened in this last year where it was like everything was kind of slowly bringing me closer to this point of understanding that where I really have a lot to offer with my own brand is nutrition, is helping women ditch a restrictive diet so that they can walk through life with confidence, um, so they can go out and enjoy a night with their friends without the guilt and the shame that's so often associated. So when I was able to kind of embrace that and 
and the universe was like, okay, you're kind of ready for it. Like this is, this is what you're supposed to do. I took it and I ran. And since then it's been maybe like three months that I've built out this program. And every day that I have free time, I work on it because it's just so fun and it brings me so much passion and joy. Well, and and that's something I think it's really important for people to understand if they're, you know, considering, you know, entrepreneurship, whether it's a side hustle, whether it's something that's a, a main hustle and usually the way it works. And it was the same way with me. It starts as a side hustle. And then if you can make it work, then it becomes your main hustle. But fundamentally, I call, you know, it's like, I call it the four Ps. You have to have passion for something, but that passion needs to specifically address a problem. And then you need to create a process and then that leads to profitability. And so for you, obviously it's like you have this passion for helping other people, you know, especially women, you know, discover how they can, you know, use nutrition to really fuel themselves to be stronger, obviously, you know, interweaving fitness into that. And I think what you've understood very clearly is, something, you know, that we talked about earlier is it, 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 you have to do this from a holistic perspective and it's so much of this is mindset and it's, and it's habit forming, right. Which is, is yeah. so behavioral and James clear. It's so interesting because he references uh, BF Skinner in the intro to his book, uh, atomic habits, who was like in my field, like the granddaddy. Um, and so much of the, the things that James talks about are behavior analytic, analytic, but he doesn't use the type of jargon that we use in our industry, which I find very refreshing. He uses it like regular verbs, verbiage to basically say like, if you want to do something more then you need to make it like as easy and fun as possible. And if you want to do something less, you need to make it like hard and effortful to do that. And because I think a lot of people think, especially as it relates to nutrition, oh, this is just like so much work and it's going to take me forever and it's going to be expensive and like here are all of these barriers, but really, you know, and part of your program, which is lifestyle by Lao, uh, and we'll link your website to the show notes, obvi, is like, yo, let's make this fun. Let's make this easy. Let's take kind of the guesswork out of it. So it's really easy to push into those habits um, because they're, it's the easier choice to make. Yeah, it really is. And, and it, it, when you take the guesswork out of it, and I, I say this to my clients all the time, it's like my biggest, my biggest priority is making sure that you are educated because mm-hmm. when you, and this I think carries over in every single aspect of your life when you are able to make an educated decision and and you understand why you're making that decision it takes the fear out of it and when you can move forward from a place of confidence or in a place of confidence and and no longer from a fear-based decision making standpoint you you open yourself up to a lot more right mm-hmm. and an example is a lot of times you know, my clients come to me and they're like, I'm really scared of carbs and I'm really scared of fats. And maybe it's a combination of the two, maybe it's one or the other. But when I'm able to sit down and say, this is why you need your fats and your carbs. And, and when you understand that you are now able to step forward and make a decision that's better for you without the fear of, Oh, I can't have fats because I'm going to get fat. Mm -hmm. Does that kind of make sense? Totally. And one of my favorite things that you always talk about, and I think this is so powerful, is you're, you've you know stated you know multiple times in you know the work that you do and even in private conversations that we've had, you're like, listen, positive changes started happening for me when I started to eat like I was worthy. Yeah. 
like I was like I'm a worth I'm a worthy person. I'm worthy of enjoying food. I'm worthy of nourishment. And I now that I have this education and understanding of the things that can nourish me, and I can release some of the fear. It's like okay, if you eat one cookie, it, it's not a big deal. Like no, right. it's fine. You know, or like okay, you want to go out on the weekend and like have a couple drinks with your friends. That's fine too. Um, it's nutrition is not a, a you know all or nothing um, or some zero game, right? It's like if you make you know choices that are in the best interest of your body and health. Most of the time, that leaves you some leeway to be a little more flexible when you want to, and you'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll be okay. Because if not, then you're miserable. Yeah, and and I know it because I lived it. I lived it for a really long time. And it was that shift of like, I'm worthy of, of eating. I'm worthy of food. I can eat Mm -hmm. like I, I need to eat to, to physically sustain myself. I let go of a lot of the weight that I was carrying from comments that were made without consideration from Mm -hmm. my own insecurities that I had carried for a really long time. And when I let that shit go and I focused on, I'm going to fuel myself like I deserve to be fueled, I started, not only did I start to see the results that I wanted to see, I also started to carry myself with more confidence, which, you know what, led to a lot of really good opportunities. Mm-hmm. And and I'm a really big believer in what you put out and the energy that you put out, regardless of whether it's to one person or to a group or just to the universe, it's going to come back. Mm-hmm. And it's going to come back and, and either bite you in the ass, or it's going to come back and be something that you look back on and you're like, holy shit, I'm really proud of myself. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I really enjoy about the work that you're doing and that the business that you created is you call it lifestyle by Lao. And this is not diet by Lao. This is not, you know, any, it's like, no, this is an approach to live your life. And one of the, the things that we had talked about is kind of like, what are the most important habits, personal habits that people need to be able to work on in order to really be successful, to be able to start eating like they're worthy. Um, Can you kind of walk us through those? Yeah. So I always say, you know, the first thing is make sure that it's sustainable. So if that means you have to start a little bit smaller, that's okay. Because at the end of the day, it's lifestyle, right? Like you're not doing this for six months or my program's 12 weeks, but the, the tools that I teach people are supposed to last past the 12 weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And and so it's okay to make slower progress. It's actually probably going to be better for you in the long run because you won't be overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, you you have to be motivated to, to give a little bit, right? You got to give a little bit to get a little bit. And what I mean by that is if you really, really, really want to see your number go down on the scale, we can do that, but we have to be realistic with what you're willing to adjust and tailor to get there, or we have to maybe adjust or tailor what the end goal is for you, whether it's timeline or whether it's a number or whatever the case may be, because you do have to be able to add some things or adjust some things to get to where you want to be. It is a Mm -hmm. give and take. And then also to, I think, especially with the nutrition, you're hearing so many things of what you can't eat. You can't eat this. You can't eat that. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. And it's really scary to make that change when you're like, well, fuck, I can't have anything. I'm going to eat air. 
today. That's what I'm going to have. Right. But it it doesn't need to be as scary and it doesn't need to be as complicated. So I always tell people if they're first starting out or if they've just never looked at food before as like a a tool to feel better about their energy or their, or themselves or their self-confidence, what can you add? What can you add to this meal to make it a little bit more nutritionally dense? And usually that's going to be start by adding some vegetables. And then when you start by adding vegetables, you get full faster because you have good nutrients and fiber. And then you start to see that you're eating less, which will lead to weight loss, which it's just a cycle that is healthy, that helps you create a calorie deficit without even needing to really understand numbers or anything Mm -hmm. along those lines. Um, Mm -hmm. So those are kind of my, my big three takeaways is like start small and start sustainable be motivated to, you know, make swaps or be willing to adjust your lifestyle now to get where you want to be. And then look at what you can add instead of what you need to restrict. Mm-hmm. So now that we're on the eve of your birthday, yes, which is tomorrow, where do you, what are your goals for yourself and in, in your business for this, this next year? Where do you want to be a year from now? I, in a year from now, I would like to be in a place where the work that I'm doing to teach group fitness classes is because I enjoy it. Mm. So I'd like to have, you know, my main source of income be from this program and from Mm -hmm. my nutrition coaching. Um, I don't ever want to step away from teaching classes. It's, it brings me a lot of joy and it's also important to, to me feeling like a whole person. It's part of who I am. Um, but it would be nice to be able to have this be my full-time job and then work on classes because they're fun and because I enjoy it. Um, so that's kind of my like year long goal. So you're saying that what you'd like to do is basically work to shift this side hustle into a main hustle and then be able to add on the fitness just because it's fun, but not as the primary source of income. So you're like throwing down the gauntlet and are saying like, Hey, lifestyle by Lao, I am willing this to life. Like I've created this, you know, I'm so excited about it. I'm so passionate about it. And I would like to make this the primary thing that I can do in order to, you know, obviously make income for myself, but also really to have an impact. Yeah. I mean, I just think that there's so, there are so many people that would benefit from this. Even even just in my circle, right? There are so many people that that I believe will benefit from this. And then I have to take into account, okay, well, outside of my circle, like mm-hmm. that that doubles the reach. And I believe I truly believe that the way and and we're working on it. I do think that society is becoming a little bit more open minded when it comes to women and mm-hmm. what women should be. Um, but I think to break the stigma, it really does stem from, we have to own ourselves. Each woman individually has to own who they are. And if we're all able to do that, and if we're all able to step away from restrictive diets or, you know, under eating or the shame that we have surrounding food, because we don't want to look a certain way because we feel like society needs us to look a different way, we can all step forward in a place where it is more focused on, okay, this is what health looks like. And it's different for every single person, as opposed to you have to be five foot tall and have a six pack and 0% body fat. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I, I just really, I think that there's a, a large benefit to this program and I'm just excited to keep helping people. So here's, you know, my next follow-up question, the health and wellness industry. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar a year industry in the United States, you know, aggregate that across the world. This isn't insane. It's also crowded. So what are you doing to be able to kind of differentiate yourself within this market? Um, And I I want you to talk about this because I think a lot of people, just because you think you do something really well, (laughs) doesn't mean that you can get paid to do it, right? Um, And, you know, so you really have to be like very strategic about this. And so what what are some of like the kind of key strategic pieces that you have, um, you know, put in place in your process to allow – you that have really helped you kind of stand out in a crowded industry? I would say the the first thing is that everything, everything that I've done, I've made sure that it is genuine to who I am. And mm-hmm. I think that when you are being an entrepreneur and being someone that you're starting a business and from like a, a more technical standpoint, there is a lot that you have to do on the back end that has to do with making money Mm -hmm. and lead gen or sales or all of that stuff that's not sexy, but you have to do it. And, you know, it it is something where I've had pressure put on me to reach out to people and cold call or reach out to people and just slide into their DMs without any rapport being built. And I had to make the decision of like, I'm in a position where I do have the space to make growth a little bit slower. And I'm okay with that because I want it to be genuine to who I am. And if Mm -hmm. it's something where I don't want to be cold called, I'm not going to then turn around and do it to other people. So that's been the biggest thing for me is like, I stick, I stick to my guns. I'm genuine to who I am fundamentally as a human. And the way that I show up in person with you in our private conversations or here on this podcast is the same way that I show up to my followers on Instagram. Um, I believe in transparency. And I think beyond that, it's also a sense too of my journey and my struggles have been put into this program. I'm not just telling you what to eat and when to eat it. I am helping guide you every second of the way and the work that you're doing on mindset, I'm also doing right there with you. I go through the program with you because it's important. And even though there's been growth, I believe that there's always room to regrow, right? To relook at and maybe have different takeaways um, Mm -hmm. to continue to become the best person that I can be and the best coach that I can be, especially when it comes to nutrition. You know, this stuff isn't, going back to James Clear, it's a daily habit. And and even Mm -hmm. the mindset work is a daily habit. You don't just do a mindset module and then, oh, great. Oh, check that box. I'm done now. Yeah. No, it's like every day. And especially being a fitness instructor, every day I have to show up and I have to do the mindset work to make sure that I continue to speak to myself in a way that I would speak to my friends. And that I don't fall back down the path of negative self-talk and negative body image and starting to say, I can't eat this or I can't eat that because I need to have a six pack, right? Every day I'm doing the work and I do it right alongside my clients. And I think that's the differentiator because I'm, I'm in the trenches with you. I've been in the trenches with you, you know? Yeah, no, totally. And, and that's, again, I think what is going to 
really help you continue to grow this because you're, again, you're bringing your whole self into this. You're bringing your whole self into everything that you do. And I firmly believe that that is, at least from my perspective, you know, the only, I don't know another mode to, I don't know another way to function, right? Like I'm, I don't want to live a life where I feel like who I am is not okay. I don't want to live a life where, you know, I feel like I have to like put myself on, you know, lessen who I am because I ultimately think that that is going to decrease the effectiveness I'm going to have, regardless of the type of work that I'm doing. Like if I can own myself, I can own the ugly stuff. I can own the great stuff. I can own the sad stuff. I can own the funny stuff and bring that to the table. Um, no matter what project I'm working on or, or business that I'm starting, um, again, what it does is it allows people to do the same. And when you can do that, whether it's with one person or two people or a group of people in class, that is where change happens. It's palpable. You feel it. And like, that's what makes life worth living to me. Yeah. That feeling. You got to own it. You got to own it. Mm-hmm. It's like Lisa Rinna says on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, you got to fucking own it. <laughs> and and I, I, I love I that you just quoted the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like, you know, I always quote Renee Brown and, and, but she says the same thing. And, and you're the one that introduced me to this quote where it's like, mm-hmm. you can either stand outside of your story and hustle for your worthiness, or you can yep. fucking own it, own it and, and see what the world brings to you. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I, I feel like I'm a testament to that. It, it took yeah. me owning who I am, flaws and mistakes and history and past and all of that to even be in a place where I can share my story and I can coach others to do the same. Mm-hmm. So just own it. Own it. Just own it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Defy podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this as much as we enjoyed making it. You can listen to this podcast on all of the podcast platforms. We would love your feedback. Please tell us what you think. We also invite you to follow us on all of our social platforms. We're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. We're even on TikTok. And if you ever have an idea of something that you'd like us to talk about in a podcast or just want to shoot us a note, please feel free to email us. You can email me, Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at defy.community. And guess what? I promise that I'll respond. So I hope you have a great rest of your day and get out there and go Defy, baby. Uh, 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 u